Well, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's nice to be with you and covering for my much younger brother than I am. Uh, his, his major birthday right now looks pretty good to me, but um, I know it's a little strange when you get to be 60. Ah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's, it was fascinating to me as I was listening here to the children's sermon in that we're thinking very, very much alike because that's, that's what Jesus does. He, he helps us to see things, uh, and the Word of God works on us so we, we, we begin to see things that are really important to see. And I found myself ask, asking as I began this, this sermon was, how do you love God? I mean, just think about that for a second. How can an ordinary human being love the almighty and everlasting creator of the universe and everything that exists, clothed in mystery, beyond our comprehension? And, and I'm, I'm struck by the fact that Jesus gives an answer to that. It's in the Bible, but he makes it very clear. And as, as Jenny pointed out in the children's sermon, the question was, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus, he was right on. Even his enemies acknowledged that. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. That's the greatest commandment. But then, notice, he didn't stop there. He says, but a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he makes a big statement. He said, on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. He's referring to the Old Testament. In other words, what he is saying is, if you're going to sum up the will of God that comes through the Bible and put it in just a couple of sentences, the heart of it is love for God, neighbor, as self. And so um, we all, of course, know it's more complicated than that, trying to live it. And so we find that when we want to live the commandments, there's another kind of love in our heart that is what the Bible calls um, the kind of love that misses the mark because it's a self-love that's not what it's supposed to be. Uh, that's what the meaning of sin is. It's the self curved in on itself. It's a love that's distorted. It's missing the mark. And you know, a lot of times people ask the question, well, why doesn't everybody just love one another? Well, the answer lies in our bondage to this distorted, selfish love and, and its need to rebel even sometimes against goodness itself. So this morning, as we focus on the commandments about love to neighbor, commandments 4 through 10, sometimes called the second table of the law, I'd like to present a couple of big ideas that will help us to understand these because Christians end up looking at the Ten Commandments differently 
than do Jews or Muslims, even though all three see them as right. Um, and that comes when we apply them to our lives. So here are the two big ideas that I'd like to, to, to present. And the first is something that Jenny said in her sermon. The Bible does not let us separate love of God and love of others. You can't separate them. They, the Bible doesn't let us. Which means, if you stop to think about it, how do we love God? One of the ways is every time we love our neighbor. We love God. I'll say a little bit more about that as we go along. And the second one is that following the Ten Commandments and learning how to love as a Christian is more about opening ourselves to the love of Jesus than it is trying real hard to follow him. That's the uniquely Christian way of looking at it, the Lutheran way of looking at it, but I'm going to say more about that. But Let's, let's, let's talk about the first one, and that is you can't separate in the Bible. The Bible will not let you separate love for God and love for neighbor. And uh, one of the ways of, of looking at this is imagine a cross. You have the vertical and you have the horizontal. And that in the cross of Jesus, two things were really being worked out in his suffering love, to make peace with God, but also to make peace with others. And they're a unity. You can visualize it just that way. And this is important for Christians to understand, especially now. I don't know that this was so true in the past. But one of the things, as you know, I'm sure my brother has talked about this, you as a congregation has looked at it, is in our culture today, uh, we are becoming increasingly what you might call post-Christian. I'm talking about the culture. Uh, Fifty years ago, gathering for church was kind of like the thing to do in the society. It's not anymore. And there are many, many people out there that have almost no idea what it means to be Christian. And so how do they pick up what they think a Christian means? Well, they pick it up sometimes from what they see on television. And as you know, in television right now, you'll get people that speak for certain groups, and one of them that has actually changed the meaning of the word in our society the word evangelical is the first word of the evangelical Lutheran church, and it means the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's become a political label. So when people hear a political person talking on behalf of them who may not really have much of a faith that you want to follow, Sometimes people will look at it and say, well, if that's what Christians believe, I don't want to have anything to do with the church. And so Christians, we need to understand that the most important thing, the important witness to the world about who we are 
actually is love. That's what happened in the early Roman times when the Christian faith was actually illegal, sometimes persecuted, often scorned. And the people that did not believe in Jesus had to admit, in fact, there's a very famous phrase, they said, see how they love one another. And that's what won the hearts of the Roman society. So let's remember some of the great statements of the Bible from its great people, just, just to kind of nail this one down and make sure that love of God and love of people go together. There's a famous quote by the prophet Micah who says, and what does the Lord require? And the answer comes in a little simple sentence that's considered to be one of the greatest in the Bible. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Notice how they're brought together. A second one is from the letter of John in the New Testament, and he says it pretty bold. He says, whoever says he loves God but hates his brother is a liar. One time, a um, Pharisee asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the story about the Good Samaritan. And then he turned the question around and he said, who was, not instead of who's my neighbor, in other words, who deserves my love, but he said, who was neighbor to the man at the side of the road? Again, an outsider is the neighbor. And on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His enemies. And then in his parable of the Matthew 25, he says, whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, notice, you do it to me. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, we read this at weddings, but sometimes we don't realize how powerful it is. He said, without love, and he's writing this to Christians, without love, we are just noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. So Jesus is really getting at the heart of things. Now, the second thing that I wanted to do was, let's look at these commandments about love. And as you look at them, I, I'm not going to go into the detail. We don't have that kind of time. But I want you to look at some of the big ideas that are at stake and how these commandments, if they're followed, protect us and foster things that allow for love to flourish as opposed to uh, problems. Okay? Um, honor father and mother. That's about our caregivers. That's about the people that we give authority to to make decisions sometimes that are very difficult. And what it says is that when you love and respect and honor your caregivers across the generations, that spills over into a society that is healthy. And it, and it brings generations together. The second is, you shall not murder. And what it says is, Christians believe life is sacred. And 
if a society is willing to see life as sacred, then the most vulnerable people in the society will feel secure because that society is not going to turn on them. But we know from experience in the last century that when societies threw out and made life cheap, that society often became known as a society in which people lived in terror. And then you have the sixth commandment, which says, you shall not commit adultery. And this gets at some of our deepest commitments. And also, I, I, our, the gift of sexuality is both one of the most wonderful and dangerous <laughs> gifts that we, we have. And what this saying is, it, it mu- commitments and loyalties must be protected. Because when that gift isn't held in that, while we see in the newspaper all the time, the trauma that is caused and the heartache that is caused by victimization. And then it goes on to say, you shall not steal. And what that's really getting at is just saying, all of us need stuff to live, to survive. And And oftentimes, in a society where you don't look with respect on others, you have this old saying, which unfortunately characterizes a lot of what goes on in societies. And that is, the strong eat the weak. And they find ways to do it, both legally and illegally. And then you have some people just struggling to make ends meet and survive and they cannot thrive. And then the next one gets at truth. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You're trying to protect the truth, because if the truth is lost in a society, you lose its basic glue, which is trust. And that society becomes much more difficult to be just because people don't trust it. And we have, as you know, a cottage industry of lying where you have computer-generated lies called bots that are, are, are focused on certain population profiles to feed them lies that they want to hear in order to kind of keep them in the right group. So this is a very, very real issue in our society. And then the last one, of course, is coveting. Down deep, and this is part of the love in us that isn't right, down deep, many of us kind of think we're entitled to more than somebody else. And we can get real jealous when we see if somebody else has more. And that's the seedbed for so much of the heartache that happens. And you can see the way these commandments, you know, they're, they're right on. And, and Jews and Muslims and Christians and non-believers will all agree, probably not with the first three commandments, but they'll all say, no, these make sense. You, you really need these in a society. But... Now I'm going to the toughest part of this. It's the one that 
you don't understand necessarily right at the beginning, but we do as we grow in the Christian faith. And that is simply this. It's one thing to know what's wise and to agree with it. But it's a little harder to put it in practice, isn't it? Especially in a society in which we get hurt, we get scared, we, uh, we know everybody doesn't play by the same rules, we got our own insecurities, we got our own needs. So the commandments help us to love, but in a different way than maybe we might expect. And I'll illustrate. A hunter walks into a sports shop to buy a compass. He finds one he likes, but he's puzzled by the fact that on the back of the compass is a mirror. So when he goes up to the clerk at the cash register, he says, why does the back of this compass have a mirror? That, replies the clerk, is so you can see the fool that got lost. When Christians honestly look into the great moral compass of the Ten Commandments, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we too see a mirror. And from time to time, we see our own reflection of that kind of distorted self-love and secret wishes that none of us would want projected on a big screen for everybody else to see. And it's a bit humbling. Truth sometimes is humbling. Sometimes it's inconvenient, but, but Christians are nothing if we're not people of the truth. And so faith in Jesus sometimes punctures our, our pride. But then we begin to appreciate what it means to be loved unconditionally by Jesus. We begin to understand that it is his mercy, not our performance, that causes him to love us. And there's freedom in this. Because now we start to see our brothers and sisters as like us, also in need of mercy also loved by Jesus. And that went, when that begins to happen, where we rely, what we rely on to start to love is not so much our own willpower as much as it is the power of Jesus' love working in and through us. And that's why we say in Scripture, we love because he first loved us. And we start to really get that. And so we're taught about love in a way that we didn't expect, that it's not just about trying to do good things and seeing ourselves as better than others and all of that, but rather it's beginning to see that at the foot of the cross, all of the ground is level. And we're there too. 
but Jesus loves us. And Jesus will invites us to be an instrument for his peace. Now that's a lifetime process. And we never reach perfection. But we begin to rely on God's work through us. And here's the promise that I want to leave you with. Jesus promises that love for neighbor where his love is coming through you, no matter how small, is never without reward or significance. And in the end, we understand this, that following Jesus is so much more than worship alone. Worship is terribly important. It's a kind of a cornerstone. But following Jesus is about our whole life. And there's none of us that aren't in places where we can't be part of Christ's love to someone else. And that will make a difference to them and to us beyond anything we could imagine or muster if it was just on our own strength. So really, the commandments end up pointing us to Christ. And they end up giving us a promise of following Jesus and letting Jesus teach us about love. And that fulfills the commandment that Jesus pointed to. Amen.